The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So, um, I hate yard sales. My wife doesn't like it when I open a sermon saying I hate something, but I hate yard sales. If anybody knows me very well, they know this is true. If you like yard sales, hey, that is totally awesome with you, but I I personally despise them, um, and that's actually putting it lightly. It's somewhere around pot roast for me. It's just way, way, way down. If you know me, also like pot roast, just the smell and taste and texture, it it just makes my skin crawl. I can't stand it. I think it's the meal that's going to be served in hell. Maybe hell is a giant yard sale. I don't know where they serve pot roast. (laughs) I have no idea, but I detect the idea, the idea of showing up to somebody's house early on a Saturday morning and rifling through the stuff that they're admitting is their trash. We don't want this anymore, and if you don't give us money for it, we're gonna throw it away or drive it to a goodwill where they're gonna charge somebody for it. Like, like the idea of doing that and rifling through somebody else's stuff and, and giving them money, it just, like, I just can't even, that just like, to me, is torturous idea. And maybe even worse, the idea of getting up early on a Saturday, taking my junk slash trash and spreading it throughout my driveway so that strangers can drive up to my house, rifle through my stuff, and then I can convince them they need to give me 75 cents for this piece of trash instead of 25 cents for the piece of trash. is not, I just like, I can't imagine a worse use of my time than that. In fact, a couple of years ago, and this is kind of embarrassing to say, uh, but a couple of years ago, Megan said, it's time to have a yard sale. And I, I fumed over that for a while and I came up with a, what I thought was a brilliant idea. I said, baby, how much do you think we're gonna make if we do this yard sale? And I don't remember how much she said. And I said, what if I pay you that amount of money and we don't do it? And I thought, I, I got out of this thing, but the trick was on me because like, some of that stuff that, didn't get taken to Goodwill, and it just got pushed off to the next year when she said, honey, we have a yard sale, and I didn't have any excuse to get out of it. But you know what, to me, is even worse, or I don't know if it's worse than a yard sale. To me, it's creepier than a yard sale. And that's an estate sale. An estate sale is when someone dies, and their family doesn't want their stuff. And so... They, their friends and strangers come to their house where this person lived and picks through all the possessions that this person had, like it's a giant carcass, and picks off the things they want and buys it. Uh, to the, at the, you can do something like you go there because you think there could be some great finds, but I just, it just feels a little bit creepy and weird to me. If you like, again, if you like estate sales, there's nothing wrong with them. It just, I, if you do them, maybe you have an estate sale business. Nothing wrong with it. It's just kind of a, a weird thing for me to do. Uh, but imagine, if you would, if you have enough imagination to do this now, I mean, all saying all that, imagine that you and I went to, an, went to a house that was gonna be so it was gonna be part of an estate sale. And we got a chance to go through the house before anybody else did. And we went, we combed the house and we made it up to the attic. We found, and imagine also that you and I possess some sort of 
appreciation and knowledge of art. That is a, again, it's a far cry from who I actually am. I couldn't tell you a Rembrandt from a Renoir. I can't even say the name, a Rembrandt from a Van Gogh. I couldn't tell you. But let's say we have some sort of appreciation for art. And in this attic, we find this piece of art that we, because we know about art and we've been in this house, we're looking through, we're rifling through this stuff, we know this is a real deal, Rembrandt because that's just the only artist I can think of off the top of my head. This is a real, a real deal Rembrandt, and it is worth millions of dollars. It is priceless. What would we do? Well, what we would do is we would make sure it's safe and hidden so that no one else will find it in that attic. We would go and find whoever owns the house, the family, and we would offer them whatever amount of money we have to offer them to buy the house and everything that's in it, lock, stock, and barrel, so that nobody goes through everything and finds out this valuable, priceless piece of art is in the attic. And if it took you and me to sell every single thing that we have, I would do a yard sale for that. To sell everything we have, all our possessions, our cars, our house, all your valuables, all everything that you have, in order to buy this house, we would do it. And we would do it gladly and we would do it happily because there's a prize up in that attic that's going to make it all worthwhile. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus told a story like that. He said there was a man who was in a field and he was digging for some reason in this field and he found a treasure. And this treasure was incredibly valuable. And in finding it, he took it and he hid it back. He buried it again under the ground, covered it back up, and he went and sold gladly everything that he had in order to buy the field. Gladly. And if you are a believer in Christ, then you have experienced exactly that. He said the kingdom of God is like that. You've experienced what it means. What he's saying is to be in a right relationship with God, to be in a right relationship with Jesus, to know him personally, to have your sins wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and to enjoy fellowship with the one who created you and for whom you were created. In order to do that is to find the greatest treasure you can absolutely find. It is worth every single thing that you have. You cannot buy it, but if you could, it would be worth every single thing and turning your face away from every other treasure would be worth it if that's the prize that you get. If you're a Christian, you've experienced that, haven't you? You've experienced that to find Jesus, to be a believer is to find the greatest treasure that you can possibly imagine. But here's the question that we're asking this morning. Is if you and I have experienced that to be true, The question is, do we live like that? I'll be honest with you, I often don't live that way. I live like the guy who found the treasure in the field, sold everything he had gladly in order to get that field, pulled the treasure up one day and looked at it and put it back in the hole and covered it back up and went about my business pretending nothing had happened. Do you and I live like Jesus is the greatest treasure that exists? Our text 
today that Becca read for us is written by a man who did. And what I wonder and what I'm convicted about this morning is how his life, the way that he viewed his life, compares with most of us. I'm going to read it again for us. Philippians 3, verses 3 through 14. For we are the circumcision. So what he's doing is he's writing a letter to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, and the, some people have come around saying, hey, uh, you found Jesus and that's cool, but you need to, uh, and we know it's by, like your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus and all that's cool, but what you have to do is if you're gonna be a Christian, you have to follow these old rules of Judaism. You have to be circumcised and follow these old laws. And Paul is saying, hey, that, the, all those laws that were given were in order to point us to the need for Jesus, and now that Jesus is here, we aren't supposed to f- try to follow those laws anymore. That's why he's talking about the circumcision. For we are the circumcision, that's those who follow the law, who worship God by the, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now this is where it gets interesting. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What he's saying is that if anybody thinks that they have a, a reason to have confidence in themselves that he is above all. He had every single box checked. He was a Jew. He followed God closely. He kept the law carefully. He was more zealous than anybody else. In fact, he was so zealous that he persecuted the church because he thought it was against the law of God. Blameless, he says. But, verse seven, but, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That sounds a lot like the story that Jesus told, didn't it? Whatever I had, that man, whatever possessions he owned, when he found the great treasure hidden in the field, he he counted it all as loss for the sake of the great treasure. I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, so that's in the past tense. Whatever gain I counted, I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count now everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That, that, this is why I count everything as rubbish. I count everything else as loss, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, here's what I know. 
If you didn't zone out whenever I was reading that, if you are a believer in Christ, whenever I read this and you read this and you hear these words, something in your heart stirs. Something in your heart stirs because it says, yes, that is the echo of my heart or you're something in your heart stirs that says, that should be the echo of my heart. That should be the driving, that, that should be my heart cry. I should be able to write like Paul is writing here is saying, I have counted everything and I count right now everything else as loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That, and I did, I counted all as loss that I may know him. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer, you hear these words, you read these words, and you either it is true for you or you say the deepest part of your heart, I wish that were true for me. The question is, is it true? Do we live like Jesus is the greatest treasure? And if not, how do we get there? How do I get from where I am today, treasuring the things that I treasure instead of him, running after prizes instead of other than him, how do I get my heart from where I am here, my life from where I am today, to where it echoes what Paul is writing here? So that the tenor of my life, the tone of my life, the tune of my life reflects the same song that Paul is singing here. How do I get there? And first of all, this first step is that when we realize that we are all working towards some kind of prize, we realize that we are all working towards some kind of prize. That's what Paul was talking about when he lays out his life in verses four through six. When he's running through that whole list of how was the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, like uh, as to zeal, a person, like he's running down, this is my life. This is the prize that I was running after. I was running after righteousness through the Jewish law. And, and if I was grading according to that, I was nailing it all. I was checking every single box off. And yet, I found it to be rubbish when compared with Christ. But the first thing that you and I have to do is to realize that we are all working towards some kind of prize in our lives. It may be a religious kind of goal like Paul was. Like I just, hey, I'm gonna live a morally upright, good life. I'm gonna do, be a, do all the good deeds. I'm gonna not watch R-rated movies. I'm gonna only listen to K-Love. And I'm, you know, I'm only gonna, you know, I'm gonna be at church every Sunday and go to every community group. And I'm gonna do, read my, do my quiet time every day. Like I'm checking all the check marks off my checklist. Like, man, I feel good about myself when I do those. And when I don't do them, I feel bad about myself. Maybe that's 
like the prize that you're working towards. And who knows why you're working towards that? It might be because you, whenever you check all those off, like you feel like clean, or maybe you check all those checklists off and you feel better than the people around you. And some of us are working towards other kind of prizes. To you, it might be comfort or pleasure. I think most of us, if we are really honest about the prize that we're working towards, would be embarrassed to say it out loud. At least that's my experience. When I catch myself after I've just been drifting for, I like to say hours, but it's usually days, weeks, and I suddenly wake up and I realize, man, I've been drifting, and I look back and see, man, what have I even been working towards? What gets me out of bed in the morning? What do I work towards with my life? To be honest, it's, it's things that are embarrassing to say out loud. It's the approval of my peers. That sounds like something a middle schooler would say. It's looking good to them. It's the pleasure and comfort of, it might be food, or it might be entertainment, or it might be recreation. Most of us, if we were to say them out loud, we would be embarrassed to do that, even to the people who are closest to us. The first step is to realize that we are all working towards some kind of prize. I, I view it as one of my missions in life as a father to indoctrinate my kids into old cartoons. Uh, partially because I consider most of the current cartoons as just terrible, just trash and rubbish. I think they're written for stoners. But... <laughs> But, so I view my job is to indoctrinate them as to all, all the old cartoons. Yesterday, I just had joy, like Landon was playing Looney Tunes over and over again. And I know they're dropping anvils on people and there's some terrible stuff in there, but like, man, it's just, that's just good stuff. It makes me laugh, it still makes me smile. I like to take them, like, well, I show them like, like Scooby-Doo and like some of the old like Rescue Rangers. You guys are too young for these things, but Rescue Rangers and DuckTales and, 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 and I, partially it's because like the current cartoons are so terrible, but partially it's because I get to watch them and not feel like ridiculous because I'm being a dad and I'm watching cartoons with my kids. I'm spending time with them. It's not really spending time with them, is it? I'm just sitting there watching cartoons with them and I feel a little less ridiculous about myself. And so I introduced them to DuckTales this summer and they've loved it and I've loved it that they've loved it. And you're watching uh, earlier this week or last week and I don't remember an episode of DuckTales where uh, Launchpad, he's one of the characters there. Uh, and actually, you, you don't have to have ever watch DuckTales to recognize the storyline. You've seen it in multiple shows and cartoons and movies through the years. But uh, Launchpad and the other like, DuckTale characters are all walking through the jungle. And Launchpad gets, uh, gets captured by the jungle people. And the jungle people take them, and so you think, like, he's captured, and it goes to the commercial break, only we don't have commercial breaks anymore. And you think, oh, no, he's captured. They're going to do something terrible to him. They're going to eat him or cook him or, like, kill him. I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to, but, they, but what happens is they get him to the, back to the village, and the next time you see him, like, the other DuckTale characters are coming to spring him out of, the tr of the, this prison that he's been trapped in. Like, they get there to the village, and he's being treated like a king. 
He's on a throne. He's got all the food he can want. They're bringing him, like they're doing whatever he tells them to do. And you guys know the, the, the way this plot rolls out, right? They're bringing him food. They're bringing him everything, drink, like everything he could want. He feels like, man, they captured me, but I've really lucked into this thing. I don't understand the language. They think I'm their king. Like, like I have arrived. And so Launchpad is sitting there on the throne and he's eating as much food as he wants and he's telling them whatever he wants them to do and they're doing it. He thinks, man, this is great. But you guys know the plot already, right? He's working towards a goal. He thinks that he's been, become the king of, these, of this village, but actually they're fattening up to be the lunch for a beast that they pay tribute to. And I think you and I, live most of our lives like that oftentimes. Like we think that we're working towards a goal, a prize that's gonna check all the boxes and give us everything that we need. It's gonna give us a sense of security and identity and value that's gonna really make me feel good. It's gonna be satisfying. I'm gonna finally feel like I've arrived. I grew up, Poor, uh, nobody respected me, but whenever I take this position or I get this education or I get in this house or I drive up this car, like it sounds so childish when we say it out loud, but in our heart of hearts, we think whenever I do this, when I achieve this, man, everybody else is gonna see that I've arrived and I'm gonna feel good about myself. But what happens? Somebody else is working on the other side of those goals that we have and they have something different in mind. And for all of us in this room, whether you're a believer or not, the person who's working on the other side of all the treasure, all the prizes that we think they're gonna check our boxes off, give us that elusive sense of identity and security and value, there's an enemy of our souls on the other side who's laughing all the way to the bank. And we don't realize that we've been working towards the wrong prize until it's all too late. Let's ask some really tough questions of ourselves this morning. What are we truly working towards? Maybe let's rephrase that question even. Ask this question of yourself as I ask it of myself. What am I truly working towards. If I were to look at my life and judge with an outside view, because I judge myself usually by my intentions and not by my results, and I judge other people by their results and not by their intentions, what am I really working towards in my life? And where is that really leading me? We can see that usually in other people, but we don't usually see it in ourselves. If I continue to live like X, if I continue to chase this false prize, this false treasure, where is that gonna lead me? What will my life look like a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? What will my relationship with Jesus look like one year from now, five years from now, 
10 years from now, because I can tell you from personal experience and from seeing it happen in other people's lives that when we continue to chase other treasures other than Jesus, we continue to chase other prizes other than him, slowly over time, our conscience becomes deader and deader and deader until we don't, what used to prick our conscience very easily no longer even touches us anymore. And we look at our life and we're a shell of ourselves, and we wonder, where did that passion go? Where did that tender love for Jesus go? Where did that passion about making sure that my life counted and that was following after him with all of my heart and all of my life go? And maybe all of that leads us to ask the question, what is my true current condition? What's the true current condition of my life? Not judging by intentions, but judging by what I'm actually working towards and living towards with my life. The first step to move from where we are oftentimes with our chasing other treasures is to realize that we are working towards some kind of prize. And secondly, to really believe that Jesus is the greatest prize. Do you truly believe that Jesus is the greatest prize, the greatest treasure above all others? Or if you can be honest for a moment, can you and I admit that we really don't? Like, I believe it here. I believe it, I would write it down as the right answer to this question. But does my life actually look like that? And if not, then I need to pray and repent and ask that God would, would renew in my heart a sense that Jesus is the greatest prize and to count everything, everything else as rubbish. And to gain him is to gain everything. But to get, to get everything else and not have him is to lose. I'm a weirdo in a lot of ways, um, but my dream from a teenager has been to plant a church. Most teenagers don't have that dream. It has been my dream since I was a teenager. I wanted that more than Honestly, more than anything else in the world. I mean, I love Jesus, I love Megan, but I wanted that more than anything else in the world because I felt like if I was able to do that and was able to preach the gospel and help lead a community of people, like that that would make me feel like I had arrived. God didn't allow me to plant a church until he'd shown me that I've based my identity and value on something other than, see, it can even be something good. Is it good to plant a church? It's a good thing. But not if you're doing it in order to make yourself feel better about yourself or to validate all the things that you think about yourself. It wasn't until I really believed that Jesus was my greatest prize and if I never planted a church or ever preached or taught again that he was enough, it wasn't until that 
that could even be safe to be a part of planning a church. One reason that many of you in this room can never seem to grab the golden ring that you're searching after with everything in your being is because God knows if you got the golden ring, truly thinking that that was what gave you identity and pleasure and value other than him, that it would ruin and shipwreck your life. But Jesus truly is the greatest prize. Hear Paul. And let's think about Paul, first of all. He has, in his life as a Hebrew, he has nailed it. He was arrested by God on the road to Damascus. He becomes a believer. And now at this point, he has planted churches. He's been on missionary journeys. He's been shipwrecked multiple times. He's been beaten. He's had a snake bite him and threw the snake off and it didn't kill him. He has been a part of healing people, casting demons out. We don't know if it's before this or after this, but he had been transported into the third heaven. I mean, as a Christian, he's done a lot of cool things. And yet, he says in verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I press on, verse 14, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do we really believe that Jesus is our greatest treasure? And if we're honest and we can say, I wish he was, but he's not, or somewhere deep down he is, but I've been chasing alternate treasures, let's stop this morning and pray that Christ would grant us repentance of that. And to let really cause me to believe that Jesus is the greatest prize. We realize that we're working towards some kind of prize. We really believe that Jesus is the greatest prize. That's a miracle of God that happens in our heart, by the way. And then the next step that we do is we reject any lesser prize. If you and I aren't really if we're believers and it's been ingrained into our soul that Jesus is the greatest prize, that to know him is the greatest treasure, to live life with him and right relationship with him, to enjoy his presence, to enjoy my relationship with him is to find the greatest prize. And if I'm not, then some other treasure has nosed within my heart and cause me to chase after it. It can be a religious veneer that's sneaky and fooling ourselves, like I already mentioned. Uh, my good conduct, or my religious exterior, the, my, the way that I'm at church, the things that I do, the things that I don't do, the good deeds, all the things that are around my life actually can serve to fool me into thinking I'm okay apart from actually seeking Christ as my true treasure. My treasures become something else. My, relation, my reputation inside the church or my own feeling of superiority above others. 
where it could be an outside pleasure or comfort that lures us in. It's my, one of my favorite analogies is the, from the Odyssey, right? They have the, the sirens who sing the songs to the, to the, to the uh, shipmen who are passing by, causing them to be so entranced with them that they, they cannot help but to steer themselves into the rocks and to be shipwrecked. And that's what so many things around us are engineered to do by the enemy of our souls, to cause us to be entranced by by a competing treasure and to follow after it, forgetting the true treasure, the true prize of our souls, and it ends in shipwreck. We're so distracted by the bells and whistles that we don't realize or we don't care. We're seduced by entertainment. We're seduced by comfort. We're seduced by pleasure. It's so easy as modern Americans We're surrounded by that. But Paul said he was leaving that behind, but he was also leaving behind his past. And that was two different pasts, right? One was his past of seeking his value and identity apart from Jesus. Some of you, you are so, the enemy of your soul so uses your past, the things that you have done, and the things that have been done to you, It could be before you were a believer or it could be since you became a believer. He so uses your past to hit you over the head continually and to make you think that you you do not qualify or you cannot seek Jesus, that your, your life has already been shipwrecked. And Paul said he left behind the past. That's his failures and his successes things that you have done that have been bought and covered by the blood of Jesus that he has paid for, but yet you let the enemy continue to beat you over the head with and let it really be an excuse is what it really is. I mean, some of the horrible things have been done to you and by you. I'm not lessening those, but we actually use those as excuses to count something other than Jesus as our true treasure. our successes and our failures, we forget those and we leave the positive and the negative behind for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and pressing into him. Who cares about past successes and past failures if the prize is Jesus and we have access to him through his blood We realize Jesus is the greatest prize. We reject any lesser prize. And lastly, we press on for the true prize. Hear this in Paul's writing. Not that I've already obtained or have already been made perfect. Think about it again, but all the things that he's done, good and bad. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We press on and we strive for the true prize, which is Jesus. Why do we do that as Christians? Because he has pressed in to us. He has strived for us. He has striven for us. We press into him because he has done, he has given himself on the cross for us to make us his own. Therefore, we press on to make him our own. 
The life of a believer is one of continually pressing on for the true prize of the upward call. Listen to that. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what kind of beautiful relationship you've experienced with Jesus, no matter what you have, where you have come from and what you have achieved in your walk with Christ, it is always an upward call. There's always more. C.S. Lewis' description of heaven is a, and the, the book, The Last Battle, is the, everybody uh, running up this mountain, enjoying time with Aslan, who's, Aslan, who is Jesus, enjoying time with each other, and the continual cry is, I'm gonna get this wrong, it's further up and higher in, or, or further in and higher up. It's one of those. It's continually, continually further up, higher in, or further in, higher up. We're going more and more. There's always more to enjoy. So how do we respond? Well, first of all, as I've been mentioning, we repent of seeking a prize elsewhere. I think that would be a good place to, this would be a good place to do that this morning, to repent of seeking a prize elsewhere. Secondly, we reject whatever saps our affections for Jesus. Think about, take a, not just right now, but maybe through the coming days, look at your life and pay attention to what are the things that I do that may not be necessarily bad, some of them are, what are the things that I do that may not be necessarily bad that saps my attention for Jesus? I was a little bit convicted yesterday in preparing this sermon that it was the first day of college football and I was just like, man, I was just enjoying that and watching it. But I'll be honest, as much as I love football, and football is not a bad thing, amen, football is not a bad thing, but if I watch too much football and too get into it, I look at my life after weeks and months have passed and I realize it's sapped my affection for Jesus. So I need to be disciplined in how much time and attention I give to that. Thirdly, we identify what stirs those affections for Jesus. Jesus said in John 4, 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The way that we stir our affections for God is in worship. Worship is my identification of what is most worthy and most valuable in my life. And we worship him, first of all, through truth. That's his word. His word, his truth, breaks us out of the lies around us. The things that we've been buying into as other treasures other than him, when I read his word and I study his word, when I memorize it, when I hear it, when I uh, when I uh, listen to sermons about it, it breaks me out of the lies that are around me and even actually finding a place in my heart that value and pleasure is found somewhere else. So there are some objective practices that we can do that every single believer should be in the rhythm or habit of doing in their life. If we wanna stir our affections for Christ. First of all, it's obvious, right? It's read the Bible. There is a, as simple as it is, how difficult is that for most of us to do? It's like, 
it's like getting something passed through Congress for most of us to, to actually read in the Bible every day for a week, much less the rest of our lives. But our life is found there. It's my lifeline to true reality. It's what I have before me and with me that I know if I it will get in that and I will go through it, that God will speak to it through speak to me through it in order to break the chains that bind me to this world from seeking pleasure and treasure in other places. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible. So there's a, a there's a, a powerful virtue in just reading the Bible daily, whether it sends off bells and whistles in your heart and mind or not, just that you are avail yourself of the scripture, of God's word. I had a pastor growing up, he described it as, as if you're in a, a sailboat, every morning you wake up, the wind's blowing or not blowing, you raise the sails. If the wind's blowing, it pushes you. If it's not, it doesn't. But if you never raise the sail, the wind never pushes you along. And if you and I never open the word and read it, there's never, we're not giving ourselves an opportunity for God to breathe into our souls the life that we so desperately need. Daily reading the word, studying the word, trying to learn how to figure out what is this saying and how do I apply it to my life? We're gonna be offering a a course beginning in October that runs for six weeks. It's called How to Study the Bible. Whether you're an experienced Christian or a new Christian, I would encourage you to sign up for that class just to learn how do I not just read it and not sure what this is saying or learn how to apply it to my life, but to learn how do I, how do I study Scripture and learn how to apply it to my life. Memorizing the Bible Memorizing scripture so that when you and I are faced with temptations to chase after alternate treasures, we have the word that's hidden in our heart so that God can use that to counteract the lies of the enemy of our soul. So all these things that I just read, we're going to begin to do this together as a church. There's an app Jamin put together a slide, and I realized as I was getting ready to come up here that I did not put it into the overhead. So please forgive me, and Jamin, please forgive me for wasting your time. But there's an app called Read Scripture. If you have your, your phone, you can pull it out right now. We're gonna all do this together. I know this is running late, but please bear with me. Pull your, pull your app, pull your phone out. Uh, if, you, if you happen to have a magic phone that gets service in here or you're on the Wi-Fi, search the app, read scriptures, one word together. If, you, if it's not working, write it down, read scripture. It's a read through the Bible in a year app. We're gonna do this starting tomorrow, Labor Day. You're not, some of you aren't going to work, so you have no excuse not to do this. But even if you are, we're gonna do it. You download the, this app, read scripture. It's a great app. You're gonna read through the story of the Bible together. We're gonna all do it together, one day at a time, and it has these awesome videos, not in every day, but along the way that it will explain the books as we get into certain books. It'll explain the storyline and what's going on if you're new to the Bible, or it, actually, I'm not even new to the Bible. I, I watch the videos and I learn stuff. It's awesome. We're gonna do it together every day. You can jump on there, study it, read it. We're gonna do it together. We're gonna keep each other accountable here on Sundays and keep each other accountable in our community groups. 
if you miss a day, don't beat yourself up over about it. You can go back and read it again. Or just, even if you miss seven days, don't beat yourself up and try to cover everything again. Just jump on today and do it. It's not about checking the list, the, a box off a list. It's about finding life in the scripture together. We're gonna start memorizing the Bible together. We're gonna start small as a church. We're gonna send out uh, emails every month. We're gonna, work, we're gonna study and we're gonna memorize one verse of the Bible together as a church a month. I think we can all do that. This is baby steps for us. Some of us are big steps. We're gonna begin the habit of memorizing scripture together. We're gonna study scripture together. Some subjective practices, again, I know I'm going late, I apologize, uh, is some of you, the morning works better for you to study. Some of you, it works better late at night. Some of you, it works better at lunch. I think morning is great, but do it whenever it fits your schedule and it fits your personality. Some of you need, like, would like to take classes and courses. We offer some on Sunday mornings. We're going to offer, offer Discipleship 101 beginning in uh, October as well. That would be a great class to be a part of. If you want to learn more, we have access to courses uh, online that you can learn more about God and Scripture. See me, see Dale. We'll get you on there. True worshipers worship him in truth, and then we worship him in the spirit. That means that the, his, the spirit enables us to experience, to taste, and appreciate him. That happens through daily prayer. That's not just listening our request to God, but also listening prayer. Letting him speak to us. God, what would you have to say to me? Enjoying his presence. It means fasting. We're going to build that. We're going to baby steps again as a church. We're going to build that in together as a church. Fasting together. We need to build new habits around these practices. If we want to follow after the true treasure, we want to stir our affections for Jesus, we need to build new habits around these practices. And then lastly, we need to live in a like-minded community for help and encouragement. Because none of us are going to nail this every single day, and that's not the purpose, is to keep us following after the true treasure, and I need people around me who are going to help me do that with me. Does that make sense? Oh, look, thank you. Somebody magically did that and covered my mistake. Read Scripture app, download in your store. That's kind of what it looks like on the left-hand side there. If you haven't already downloaded and haven't paid attention to what I've been saying since you downloaded it. I know all of you aren't keeping notes on your phone. Some of you are just like doing whatever. I'm, I'm well aware of that. Hey, let's live and press on with everything that we have for the true prize. And let's operate in every single tool that God has given us to stir our affections toward that true prize. Let's give ourselves to that. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.